Level four electives are exactly the same across all the paths with three exceptions. Those electives were turned into required projects for these particular paths. So what are the level four electives that we're looking at today? Looking at this list, create a podcast, building a social media presence, managing a difficult audience, write a compelling blog, manage online meetings, question and answer session, public relations strategies, and manage projects successfully. I see that many of these relate to the newest trends in communication, online and social media. Even the public relations strategy project is relating to media, even if it's hypothetical. Question and answer session, manage a difficult audience, and manage projects successfully do have to be done in person rather than virtually. If you're listening to me on a podcast, I don't imagine that I have to explain the power of social media and an online presence. But let's generally review all of these electives because here is the start of you using your Toastmasters skills, your public speaking leadership skills, in a very outward fashion. Are you interested in public speaking and leadership skills? Then Toastmasters is for you. Welcome to Toastmasters 101, a podcast about the education program Pathways from Toastmasters International. I'm your host, Kim Cradgy. Looking at all the projects in Level 4, electives, I see that there's a huge range of opportunities for people to apply these projects to the activities and actions of their lives, not necessarily Toastmasters. For example, create a podcast. Now, I've been podcasting for a long time now, and yes, it's about Toastmasters. But did it have to be about Toastmasters? No, it didn't. It could have been about any topic I wanted. Because I've been podcasting for a long time, I've seen the big changes in the field over the years. Technology that has come and gone. Hosting programs that have offered free hosting and have collapsed. I know which formats and platforms are probably the best to invest in rather than just looking for free. Because for podcasting, you're going to have to make some investments in equipment even if all you purchase is a microphone. Yes, I know some people might use their computer microphone and others will use their smartphones, but speaking for myself, investing in quality equipment was a really good decision for me because my final podcast sounds something that I'm generally proud of. Here are three things about podcasting. Number one, you have to do it. Just recording and editing is not enough. You have to put it out there for somebody to hear and potentially respond to. Number two, everyone's podcast is bad. Really bad. Really, really bad. Horrifyingly bad. Unless you've got a few years behind you in radio or television or in video or in podcasting fields, you're going to learn things about your voice that you're simply not going to like. And that learning curve for editing is pretty steep. Remember, this is a pilot. You're just going to do the best you can. The very next episode, you will do better because of everything you learned from the first episode. Number three, 
equipment isn't everything. We say content is king, but then again, if people can't understand you, if people can't hear you, or if people get annoyed by the sound that's coming out of your podcast, you lose the chance for them to hear your content. So it's important to produce a podcast that sounds reasonably good. This is the thing I like about the Toastmasters podcasting project. It doesn't try to tell you how to podcast. That was smart. The field has changed so significantly over the years, and it's going to change again. Instead of Toastmasters being stuck with dated materials that will discourage you or cost you money that you don't need to pay, they tell you to research podcasting yourself. Very smart, Toastmasters International. This year, in 2019, I recommend fellow Toastmaster David Hooper's book, Big Podcast. You can find it on Amazon, and it's worth every penny. David's a great podcaster, and his book is on target for you to build a big podcast. As a disclosure, he is a friend of mine, and I make this recommendation with no financial motive. What should you talk about? What should you podcast about? Well, what would you blog about? Let's look at the Write a Compelling Blog project. Choosing a topic for a blog or a podcast is extremely subjective. What are you passionate enough about that you want to talk about it on a regular basis? The requirement to post two blog posts for four consecutive weeks, that's not unreasonable. You can blog at virtually no cost by using a WordPress.com website or Blogspot, or Wooshka, or Wix. And no, I don't have links to any of these in my show notes because I'm not recommending any of them. I know plenty of people who have used them and been perfectly happy, but I haven't. So I can't recommend them. I've used a paid WordPress site for my blogging slash podcasting slash show notes. I can recommend WordPress.org for websites but you're going to be paying a significant amount of money for hosting and you're going to spend time or money on the design of the website. It's your call. Do you want to spend that kind of money on a level four objective? The thing that stops people usually isn't the technology or the hosting. It's usually the topic. What should you write about? It's the same as podcasting. I don't know what you should write about. I don't know what you should podcast about, but let me tell you a story about another podcaster I know of. He podcasts because it opens the door for him to talk to people who otherwise would never speak to him. He's interviewed the big names in his field and gotten well-known because he started podcasting about something he's passionate about. He's a big fan of it. He's not an expert. He's not any kind of authority. He's just a guy who loves comic books. And now he gets to talk to the leaders in the industry. Whether you pick blogging or podcasting, there may be some really unexpected results. I think that this story may show why podcasting is the best level four elective. When you work to produce a great podcast, you have to produce content regularly, you have to interact with your audience, and you have to give them value in exchange for their time. Then you see the unexpected, fantastic things that happen in your life. Why podcasting rather than blogging? 
Well, podcasting is a much smaller field than blogs are. Because of your podcast, you can talk with people you want to talk to who never would otherwise talk to you. That is so cool. But you know what's cooler? And this is a little vain here. When you walk into a room and start talking and people say, I know you. I know your voice. You're on that podcast. Believe me, that is the coolest thing ever. Can you double up on this? Are show notes the same as a blog post? Personally, I'm going to say yes. They are pretty much the same. Smart podcasters offer show notes. They're effectively blogs because Google searches the written word. It doesn't listen to the podcast and index it based on that. At least not yet. Google finds things because of what is written on the website and Google searches for them. It's the most effective way to get found. So my show notes are pretty detailed and they follow search engine optimization techniques. Ooh, did I scare you there? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. You don't have to understand the whole tech thing in order to blog. You just have to have something to write about for a minimum of 300 words twice a week for four weeks. Can I give you a secret? Most bloggers, and this includes me, we batch our writing. I get an idea, I write about it, which inspires the next idea, then I write about it, and then I get another idea. You get the picture. When I get into writing mode, I'm not going to stop because I finished this particular task, especially if I've got another idea that I might forget. So I write a series of posts, but I'll delay publication by using the blogging software. Many of them do allow you to schedule out your posts. This won't get you into the habit of writing weekly, but it's far more efficient. If you decide that you want to do something on the internet, but you don't want to blog, we also have the Building a Social Media Presence Project. Man, this has got to be the simplest of the level four projects. According to Facebook, four billion people in the world are on their platform. That's more than half of the world's population. And for those of you who feel that Facebook has overstepped, there are other options, like Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Tumblr, you name it, it's out there. See, it's everywhere. You can establish a social media presence very easily. It's maintaining it that's the rub. Creating a presence is simple. Maximizing it is the challenge. You see, social media is first social. And social means that it's about people, and therefore their tastes, fads, fashions, interests, those all drive how social media works. So each of the social media platforms are constantly changing in how they work. A post that might have great impact years ago may get lost in the maelstrom now. There's just so much out there. As of October 2019, when I record this, Facebook and Instagram have just started new systems to determine what people will see in their newsfeed. I'm going to have to learn to use that new algorithm just to make sure that my podcast announcements get out. Um, since we're on the topic, would you mind doing me a little favor? Would you go to my podcast Facebook page and let me know where you found out about this podcast? Was it a referral from another person? Did you see a post somewhere on Facebook? Facebook? 
Did you see the, the announcement on the District 10 website or another website? Thanks. I really appreciate you stopping by and doing that for me. Now, okay, back to the create social media presence. You need to do this carefully. If you're going to create a social media presence for your club, let me beg you, please find out if somebody else has already done it. It's far easier to take over an existing platform than it is to build a new one, especially if your club already has one. You don't want to compete with the other account. For example, District 10 has a LinkedIn presence, but nobody knows who owns it and it hasn't been attended to in years. We can't take it over. We can't do anything about it. Ideally, we'll figure out who's got it and make them give it to me or somebody else. Number two, commit to more than a couple of posts. I'm one of the admins for the District 10 Facebook page and the group. What will happen is I will follow your club on Facebook to get your latest updates. I'll cry a little bit inside if you start posting and then just stop. Because I'm reposting your material. It's not just that I want the District 10 page to have current content. People are looking for Toastmasters on Facebook and we've got a corner on Toastmasters in Northeast Ohio. It's in our name. If they search for us, they're going to find us. I want to help them find you. So I share your posts. Asking you to take a longer commitment might seem unfair. Because the level four electives project description doesn't ask you to go a long time. But I'm not thinking about the project. I'm thinking about your club. If your club has a Facebook presence and it suddenly stops one day and nothing else is posted for months or years, it looks bad for you. It makes you look like your club is dead. I hope that your club has a Facebook presence. I just don't want it to hurt you. Number three, no joking aside, Posting daily on Facebook is a minimum to build a presence. Instagram, some of the current experts say that up to four times per day, and they even tell you what times to post. Twitter, 11 to about 20 times per day. LinkedIn, I have no idea, but I know people who post there daily. They see their business grow through LinkedIn. Each of these platforms has their own quirks, their own sizes of images, but you can use Hootsuite for pre-scheduling releases. It really helps a lot. Number four, think about images for every post. Find relevant videos that you can share. Build a club theme. It's October right now, and on my club's Facebook page, we have a picture every day called Toastoween. After all, what's scarier than public speaking? Did I say that social media presence was the simplest project? I take it back. That can't possibly be the simplest level four elective. Maybe it's manage online meetings. Now, the level four manage online meetings project will require you to have some comfort using technology. I've run a few online meetings with my high school students, and by far the biggest challenge was the tech. For example, if you use Zoom, for first-time users, they're going to struggle to figure out why no one can hear them. 
that button on the bottom left that unmutes the speaker is everyone's first trip up on that platform. Whatever platform you use, the online meeting can be fun. It doesn't have to be a serious topic that must be addressed. You have to manage the meeting. For example, it could be about planning event, or it could be about the follow-up after an event. It could be a drinking party while you're watching a political debate. No, 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 don't do that. There's no managing that. You could all watch a video together and discuss it. The point is that you manage the tech, the interaction between the participants, and come to a reasonable endpoint. You need a practical set of skills. I suggest practice first. Get a few people on whatever platform you like and try it. Online meetings are mundane compared to the difficult audience. Managing a difficult audience has to be my favorite of all the electives because I didn't exactly follow the rules. There are days that I think that the project descriptions from Toastmasters presume that everyone is perfectly behaved all the time. They need to be encouraged to get a bit wild. Maybe because I teach teens that my opinion is exactly the opposite. Having the club officer assign the roles to the meeting for you to manage is way too simple. To enjoy the full experience, go for the mayhem. Or not, it's up to you. In my introduction, I asked everyone in the advanced club to take on the challenge of being a difficult member. And because these people know me, and mostly love me, and frequently tolerate my bent toward the crazy, they gave me exactly that. I bombed this project, laughing the whole way. I had hecklers. I had interruptions. I had a group of people get up and start a separate discussion at the other end of the room. I think I had one of my audience come up and adjust my hair, but maybe that was the nightmare I had later that night. There is no way you can call what I did manage a difficult audience, but boy, did we all have fun. I will repeat this project for every path that I take because at some point, I might just manage them. Or not. One elective I'm not likely to take is the public relations strategy. This is a perfect project for a vice president of public relations or a district public relations manager. Would anybody who wasn't on the strategic pathways path benefit from doing this? This is probably my lack of creativity on how to use this project. I don't enjoy public relations in general. Even if I did finish the old manual, I did enjoy that because I decided that the only way to manage a unique situation of giving three speeches in one week was to base each of them on the same premise. Vampires and zombies were as good as anything else I could come up with that week. This might be fun to do with a crazy theme. Promoting your club with public relations strategy is a good idea, but there's got to be club efforts behind it. You need events and activities planned well in advance in order to promote them effectively and well. This is why I was so pleased to see the walls between the levels come down. Sometimes the project, like a club contest or an area contest or a district contest or a district conference, doesn't come along in your linear path in the program. There are several projects inside the Toastmasters year that require project managers, and you can use managed projects successfully to do that. But the project could also be a project outside Toastmasters, 
I'm sure you've got plenty of opportunities to step up in your community. You may need to recruit someone from your club to help you with the evaluations and the project requirements. I suggest you read through this project completely before you get started. Actually, that's really good advice for all of these electives because they're big and they're long, and you need to make sure that you're not going to waste time or get distracted from what the real goal is. Any questions? Good, because we're down to the question and answer session. When I've done breakout sessions, I always include the questions and answers during the presentation. So this particular project of the level four electives, and I'm going to be honest here, I've never done it the way they want. I don't give a speech and then do a Q&A because I prefer the question to be posed if the audience member wants to know rather than waiting. Okay, a little personal revelation here. Mostly it's to prevent me from contradicting myself later. I don't like sounding foolish, but it's also my preference. When I'm in the audience and I want an answer, waiting increases the likelihood that I'll forget the question or a critical part of the question. So when I'm giving a speech or presentation, I take questions during it, not at the end. Now, technically, I've gotten this evaluation several times. I give a training seminar several times a year with another Toastmaster. She's much better about remembering to bring evaluation forms than I am. But when I do remember, I tend to go for this project's evaluation for the training that I give. I want to know how I'm doing. I want to know what I'm communicating. And I want to know the questions we are asked so we can improve the seminar next time. I love hearing what people ask because it becomes a springboard for the presentation that I otherwise might not develop. We include a bit about a relevant TV show in our seminar now because of a question that someone asked. Their questions help me build rapport with the audience. I know that I have a pretty strict divide in my audience in these training sessions. The questions are cool because they help me bridge that gap. They help me relate to people and build authenticity. That's why I like to have them during the process. These level four electives are built to challenge us, and they should. It's a reasonable guess that you've been a member about a year when you start this level work. You wouldn't want to start any of these projects until you've had the previous levels training and experiences. Between my completed paths and picking the next one, when I was looking for speech projects, I tended to look at this list first for my speech projects. I want the challenges that the level four electives bring. I guess I just want them on my own terms. Maybe I should do the Q&A the way they want me to. I'll have to think about that. Now, if you ask why I never did the Create a Podcast level four elective, this is the reason. It's not much of a challenge when I've been doing a podcast for years, but I am looking at doing a new podcast on another project and maybe, maybe then... Thanks for listening to the District 10 podcast of Toastmasters 101. You can find out how to subscribe to the podcast on the player of your choice through our website, toastmasters101.net. Our music today is from incompetech.filmmusic.io. Last week, it was pointed out to me that I misused the word pathway. The program is called Pathways, but the individual series are called Paths not pathway. Hmm. So I would like to know, 
do you use the word pathway for your path? Or is this just me? Let me know by going to the Toastmasters 101 Facebook page and answering the question. I have a poll set up there on the page. In the meantime, I am trying to use the word path, except when I say the word pathway. I'm sorry. <laughs>